We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Today we're going to be picking up in James. Um, And so for the last few weeks we've been unpicking and studying the book of James together. Um, It's a letter written by Jesus' half-brother James, who was also the head of the Jerusalem church. It's a letter not written to a specific church like the Corinthians or the Philippians, but written to the church as a whole, capital C. And it's specifically written to Messianic Jews or Jewish Christians who would have been scattered across the nations and would have been facing different challenges due to following a resurrected and ascended Jesus. And so speaking into that context, James writes this incredibly practical letter of faith, wisdom, and patience. And it echoes Proverbs and Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's filled with these kind of short, snappy teachings or or, or speeches. And, And James uses, like, the peel technique. Do you remember the peel technique from GCSE English? Yeah, yeah. So that point, evidence, explanation, and link. And he uses it to question and challenge and stir our hearts to a life of fullness. And so, so far, we've been studying verses 1 and 2, and we've been looking at faith and perseverance. We've been looking at being quick to hear and slow to speak and not showing favoritism. And so if you've missed any of those, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen, to really tune in. Um, But also, if you haven't already, I'd encourage you when you kind of have a moment to just sit down and read the letter. It's it's really short. It won't take you more than 20 minutes or so. But genuinely, you you don't know what God will like speak to you and reveal to you through through doing that. Right. And so anyway, we're going to start today um, in uh, James 2, 14 to 26 um, that Izzy wonderfully read. Um, But before we go into that, can I just get a show of hands if you are familiar with those verses? It's it's not a trick question. If you've heard, you know, faith without works is dead. Nice. Okay, good few of you. Sorry, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. (laughs) Um, And keep your hands up if you would say you fully understand those verses and you fully understand how they interact with other verses in the Bible. Oh, oh, uh, okay. Um, I wasn't expecting that, but sure. Um, no, that's really insightful because when I was preparing for this talk, I, I felt that like those verses are really well known, but really easily like misunderstood. And because they're misunderstood, they're mistreated and misused. And I feel like, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, they're often used in conflict with some of Paul's teachings. That either you're in the faith without works is dead camp, or you're in the you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone camp. They're these two dividing teams that you either find residence in one and disregard the other, or you fluctuate between them depending on what argument you're trying to make. But the reality is, if we truly believe that all scripture is God-breathed and useful, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, then we can't view these texts in conflict, but rather in conjunction. And so I'm going to come back to that a little later on, and we'll unpick and reconcile what it means. But my heart and prayer for today um, is is really simple, and I just pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, reveals to us a deeper understanding of this text. 
And it might not happen literally at the end of me finish talking, but it might be that you go away tonight and you grapple with it and you wrestle with it and you sit with it and you see <laughs> that God is good and you see what he's calling us to. And so if you've got your Bibles, um, bring them out, turn with me to uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Nathaniel. Um, And so verses 14 to 17, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so James kicks off these verses with three rhetorical questions. All of those questions demanding the answer, no. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Well, no good. Can that faith save him? No. What good is that? Well, again, no good. And these, weirdly enough, James here reminds me of, of, of my gran. And um, my gran's a wonderful Jamaican lady. Um, and, and there's occasions, right, where she'll go to the supermarket um, and she'll buy, let's say, she'll buy a broccoli. And she'll cut the broccoli. And let's say the broccoli's gone off, right? I, at that point in time, could be minding my own business, just walking by the kitchen. And she'll say, come here, sir. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, you see this thing? And I'm like, yeah. Um, she's like, it's not good at all. It's not good at all at all. <laughs> and um, I'm standing there like, it's a broccoli, but sure. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but either way, she's showing me and sharing with me that something is not good. She's had a revelation of something that is not good, and she's telling me about it. And I think that's what James is doing. James is making it pretty clear that that kind of faith is no good. And it's no good to the extent that it's dead. But then the question is, what kind of faith is no good? And well, the key word in those verses, in verses 14 to 17, is the word says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And one of you says to them, Go in peace and be, be warmed and filled. So James is talking about the kind of faith that talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. It's just chatting. It's just capping. It's just saying you believe but doing nothing with it. And his words, James's words are rooted in Jesus's teachings as Jesus calls us to a life of faith and action. Um, on the next slide, we've got some of Jesus' teachings on it. And he says in Matthew 7, 21, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In John 15, 8, uh, it's, he says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so our faith is designed to be more than what we say, but also what we do. 
And it is by our fruit and how we love and serve others that we will be known as disciples of Jesus. Otherwise, it's simply dead faith. And it's easy to sit here and, and look at the examples. If you just go back a slide, um, Nathaniel. If, you, if it's easy to look at the example that um, James gives uh, and be like, yeah, of course that's dead faith. But perhaps if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us are this person that James is describing? How many of us say, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body? How many of us say, yeah, I'll be praying for you, and don't? How many of us say we love our neighbor yet slander and talk negatively about others? How many of us talk about our convictions and behaviors in one-to-one -one discipleship or small group yet leave unchanged? How many of us talk about fighting injustice yet undermine and disregard those who are different from us? How many of us talk about loving God's creation and environment yet drive to work every day? That last one is me, just so you know. But seriously, how many of us do that? We know that God is calling us to fight injustice and serve the vulnerable in the weak. But how many of us have insular faiths, focused only on saying the right things in an attempt to serve our own weakness and pride? And so James is calling us out. And he's saying, look, 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 your actions speak louder than your words. It's not enough to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but do nothing with it. And so the question to all of us today is, do you merely talk about your faith or do you actually live it? It's a heavy question. We've got a few of those throughout, so uh, bear with. <laughs> um, so moving on to verses 18 to 19, um, it says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe, that, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> oh, it's not funny at all. I don't know what it is about this verse, but every time I get to it, I'm like, all right, James, okay, <laughs> that cuts deep. Um, because here, James is calling out those people that have separated faith and works, as if they can exist in two separate groups. And instead, James is teaching us about the relationship between faith and works and highlighting the necessity of works in demonstrating our living faith. In fact, he goes as far to say that we are no better than demons if we think it's okay to just believe in God. If you're, actually, if you're interested, he's actually making reference to a Judaism um, idea known as Shema, taken from Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so it's not enough to merely agree or know intellectually or religiously that there is one God. It's not enough to just turn up on Sunday and just read our Bible on its own. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you're getting my point. Though all those things are great, but we also have to act in a way that shows integrity. 
Our actions have to be consistent with our belief and demonstrate our faith in God. So what areas in your faith and your life do you need to move from intellect to impact? I was quite proud of that one. Uh, I, I called Abby like, what's another word for action or impact? <laughs> but where, what areas of your faith and life do you need to move from intellect to, Im from intellect to impact? Bro, and so moving now on to uh, verses 20 to 25, it says, this is a chunky one, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And so coming back to the Peel style of writing, James is really kind and gives us two examples and evidence, uh, forms of evidence of, um, from the Old Testament. Two people from the Old Testament who have demonstrated faith in action. But before I go into the examples, I, I want to take a moment to kind of reconcile some scripture here for us. Um, particular verse, particularly verse uh, 24 um, and in the version, in the ESV version, verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And on the surface, this obviously sounds like a direct contradiction to what Paul teaches. Because in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I think we're all familiar with, with that verse. You know, when we're sharing the gospel, it's you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so they sound like they're saying opposite things. But like I said earlier, if we believe that all scripture is God-breathed, i.e. if all scripture is the truth, then they're not, saying the, they're not saying different things. They're saying exactly the same. They're just teaching from two sides of a coin. You see, James's use, um, sorry, James uses a definition of justification referring to the affirmation or demonstration of a per person's righteous actions. Whereas Paul is describing another, another um, definition of justification, referring to right standing with God on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. Does that make sense? I mean, that's a bit of a, a bit long, but. <laughs> so basically, James is not saying that you are made right with God or forgiven by God because of what you do. He is not saying that. And like, if you go away with anything, go away with that. James is not saying that because that is not the gospel. And in fact, James, from that text, agrees that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Because when you look at it, he acknowledges that Abraham 
was made right with God back in Genesis 15, 6, where it says, uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So that's taken directly from Genesis 15, 6. And then it wasn't until Genesis chapter 22, so many years later, that Abraham then justified his faith through his actions. So when, he, when God said, take Isaac up to the place and he didn't actually have to sacrifice him, praise the Lord. Um, so faith came first and justification by his righteous actions came after. And equally, Paul actually acknowledges the importance of works immediately after his verses in Ephesians 2. As in Ephesians 2.10, he notes that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Thank you, Holly. So basically, they're saying the same thing. That we are saved by grace, uh, sorry, we're saved by faith alone, which then must show itself through action. Otherwise, was it truly any faith at all? Uh, earlier in 4 p.m. prayer, Ads was praying, and then he said, <laughs> um, the balance is in the construct of the kingdom. They're not differing sides, they're, they're, there's, a, there's a balance in that. And so going back to the examples, James clearly shows us two, you know, two polar opposites. We've got Abraham, who was considered a righteous man and the father of the Jewish faith. And then we've got Rahab, a prostitute who believed God and chose to hide Israelite spies in her home. And what personally strikes me about these examples is Rahab and Abraham's obedience to God. They weren't hung up on intellectual knowledge, appearances, or religious practices, but when God said do, they did. They trusted God so much above everything they knew to the, the extent that they had to act. And that is living faith. So where in your life, another question, where in your life do you need to be obedient to God's call to action? Real, okay. And so uh, the final verse, verse 26, it says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so here James is linking back to his point. He's got a slightly morbid example, but we, we get the gist. He's saying that true living faith means that our hearts have been changed. And a changed heart is demonstrated through action. Faith with no demonstrable action is no real faith at all. It's dead, it's chatting, it's capping. Instead, we have opportunities every day to be, to be obedient to God. To serve his people and meet the needs of those we work, live, and study among and given the society we're currently living in, those needs couldn't be more prevalent. And so we all can impact our town, our friends, our family, our course mates, our lecturers, our boss, with good works, with action, and with good deeds. And it can be as practical as helping a, a family with you know, limited time. It can be doing the shopping 
for your gran and getting that broccoli. It can be serving on a Sunday. Either way, we all can and need to do something. Why? Because our living faith in God calls us to action.